Welcome to Restart Radio, a very different show about gadgets on Resonance 104.4 FM. This is a different show because unlike most, we do not focus on the new shiny, shiny things to buy. We focus on the value in the stuff we already have. The Restart Project aims for a shift of behavior towards a more sustainable and happier relationship with electronics. While we're not currently able to run our monthly repair events, our work with the London repair community is integral to this mission. My name is Ugo Valauri from the Restart Project and I'm joined today by my colleague Holly Davis. We're talking today to Alice Penfold, who is the borrower support lead at Library of Things. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Library of Things is a London-based social enterprise, which is, to quote, on a mission to make borrowing better than buying. Today, we'll find out more about how Library of Things got started and where it's going. But first, uh, let's touch upon some recent news stories that caught our attention. So I'll start with one that really I found quite annoying, but it's also important for memory. <laughs> so iFixit reported uh, a few days ago about the Galaxy upcycling, how Samsung ruined their best idea in years. So what happened? Recently, Samsung announced uh, with a lot of press attention uh, a new sort of new upcycling at home project, which in essence turns their recent high-powered three-year-old smartphones into things that are basically sound or light sensors, such as baby monitors, instead of recycling them. So for them, it's an upcycling exercise. What, what that means to us instead is perfectly capable three-year-old smartphones Rather than being supported for longer, they're technically downcycled into something a lot less powerful and useful. And we think that such devices should be supported for longer or opened up so that users can install different flavors of operating systems so that they can continue to be used for a much longer time. But what's outrageous and interesting at the same time is that originally Samsung had a much more ambitious plan which had convinced four years back iFixit to partner with them and iFixit you know is a partner of ours and a strong company pushing for right to repair globally so Samsung then changed their mind and went from wanting to extend the lifespan of all their phones by allowing people to install whatever they wanted on a phone that they weren't supporting directly anymore, to just cancelling this plan little by little and eventually just focusing on very recent phones instead. And that's a cautionary tale uh, of what are the real motivations that global corporations have and how it's hard to partner with them to get anything good happening. What, what did you make of this, Holly? Yeah, I mean, three years is really not a very optimistic or, you know, I don't think difficult target for how long your phone should be able to be used. And I think you know, what's ignored by the, them calling it upcycling is it's a waste of really valuable materials. And I'm assuming a lot of the materials that go into a phone aren't necessary for something like a baby monitor. And therefore, you're not 
using those materials, you know, by selling the phone secondhand or getting it repaired, you're taking those products off of the market, kind of the reselling market, and you're, it means you have to then build more phones, which are using more of those materials. So I think it almost seems like a step backwards, I guess, compared to some of the stuff we're pushing for. Absolutely. And, you know, had they done this to support phones that they used to sell 10 years ago, well, that would have been a different story. But the fact that it's so limited in scope seems really a missed opportunity. And uh, also, I remember when they originally announced this thing four years back and then they went quiet. And so sometimes if they wait long enough, they can get good press for something that's not really what should be get good press. So cautionary tale indeed. In other news, we learned from Vice that Elon Musk says Bitcoin has great costs to the environment and that Tesla will no longer accept it. Again, going back in memory, it's something we, we discussed on Restart Radio years back and something that people to an extent have known for a long time. The vast majority of Bitcoin is still mined using fossil fuels and you know, there's the crazy rush to buy more and more powerful graphic cards to mine and then discard them a few months later. What's happening? What, what do you think is the takeaway from this? I mean, I think I've seen a lot of people talk online now about how they're kind of outraged about his comments because it's in a way led to it looks like the beginning of maybe the collapse of Bitcoin. Or in some ways, I mean, I've seen, I don't really understand it that much, but it doesn't seem like it went in a good direction after that. Um, but I think also because people are saying, you know, a lot of it is already mined sustainably, but I don't, I haven't seen much evidence of that. And I think it's also missing the point kind of about, yeah, it's horrible that they're doing things like opening coal plants up again <laughs> to power these servers and stuff but even if that's not the case still the kind of components being used in the in the computers is another issue that isn't being as far as I can tell being done sustainably even if it is using renewable energy to power them. <laughs> Alice would you accept bitcoin to pay for borrowing at library things? I don't know. Uh, I don't think so. I think for me, it just confuses things. I don't actually know many places that take Bitcoin. I've seen Lush accept Bitcoin, I think. It feels to me it's not a very tangible thing, although it is. You know, I think people would rather just pay with the money that they have in their bank and yeah, know that they can afford it. But yeah, I, I'm, I'm the same as Holly. I, I can't pretend to know a lot about Bitcoin. All I know is that my partner who's been trying to build a gaming PC can't get hold of a graphics card at the moment. <laughs> yeah, quite a few people in the gaming world are upset. <laughs> and finally, uh, interesting news coming from New Zealand, where a local consumer rights organization, Consumer NZ, launches a mobile phone repairability score and they're following France's lead. Their aim is to better inform consumers of product repairability and how they can affect their impact in reducing the e-waste crisis. Now, if France did it, if now New Zealand does it, how about the UK? That is a very simple question and we'd love to see a lot more proactive 
efforts by the government. Any thought, Alice, on whether this would be an interesting tool to help consumers shop with more confidence? Yeah, 100%. I would love to know, especially with a mobile phone, if I'm buying it, whether I could replace the screen and how much that would be, because that's something that, you know, probably quite often breaks and you want to know whether it's worth it or whether you're just going to have to end up buying a whole new phone um, because it's just too expensive to replace. So, yeah, I think this would allow people to really invest in the products that they're buying and really think ahead for that kind of thing. And the affordability or lack thereof of repair is indeed a crucial aspect that the French index starts to address in part. Not a better moment to promote our current petition asking the UK government to make repair affordable and accessible to everyone. If we're anyone interested in that, head to therestartproject.org and you can sign and read our petition pushing for a real right to repair in the UK. So now moving on to the main topic of today's show. Before the pandemic, we were lucky enough to share an office with Library of Things and we hope we will soon again. While there, we've been able to witness their growth over the years. Today, we're joined by Alice Penfold, who was the first ever employee at Library of Things, starting as community activator back when they first started out uh, prototyping in uh, West Norwood. Now, Alice is borrower support lead and also heads up their content production across London. So we're really excited to hear from you. How are things going for Library of Things and stories about the people who borrow? So first of all, for people who haven't heard about you yet, uh, what exactly is a Library of Things and what are you trying to achieve? Yeah, so we're a social enterprise and we install self-service kiosks kind of like Amazon lockers, but like 100% better, um, in spaces accessible to the local community. At the moment, just in London. Uh, so these could be creative spaces, community centres, but we're mostly in libraries at the moment. And uh, yeah, we fill those kiosks with useful and joyful things that people can borrow. And they're usually things that people only need to use a few times. So things like carpet cleaners and drills, waffle makers, things that would usually kind of gather dust because you only use them once in a blue moon. So yeah, it could be for adventures that you're having, stuff you're doing at home or projects that you're doing. And we're on a mission to make borrowing better than buying. And to make borrowing better than buying is make it more convenient. So by having it in these community spaces that are accessible to people who live there and more affordable. So uh, borrowing things at a fraction of the cost that you would pay for it to own it. So we don't charge more than 5% of the RRP. Um, and then more socially rewarding. So you're sharing things with your neighbours, attending events and then, yeah, kinder to the planet as well. So helping people avoid buying things they only need to use every so often. Brilliant. When did you get involved originally and why? Well, it was nearly four years ago now, which is crazy. Uh, yeah, 20, 2017, I think it was. As you mentioned earlier, I started off as the community activator in West Norwood. So my 
job was to kind of spread the word about borrowing and get as many people in the local community involved. But yeah, within my first six months of being there, we we moved to Crystal Palace in partnership with Upper Norwood Library Hub and Crystal Palace Transition Town. And then, yeah, I've done like a variety of different roles. But yeah, why did I get involved? I've always been really passionate about the environment, especially when I was at university. I was studying journalism at the time, but did a lot of volunteering and really wanted to do a job that made a positive impact on the world. So kind of ended up working for environmental organisations and yeah when I saw the job come up for library things I was like that's perfect and I remember in my interview for library of things I mentioned restart projects as one of the organizations I really wanted to work with so <laughs> it's come full circle which is quite nice it's come full circle I think uh, you might want to explain how there's been a bit of a connection between the world of repair and the work that you do yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, I I guess the most obvious link was in my role as community activator. I helped set up events in the Crystal Palace area. Crystal Palace is a really great active area in southeast London. Lots of amazing community projects, mostly started by the transition town there, who we'd, we'd partner with on Library of Things. And yeah, we decided that a restart party or a repair party would be a really good fit. And then, yeah, I guess more recently, Jamie, who's one of your volunteers at many of the restart parties, he now works with us as a, as a thing technician in Crystal Palace. And I think there's just a lot of like intel and love shared between the two of us. Um, obviously, repair is what you're most passionate about, but we're passionate about it too from the perspective of yeah, trying to stop e-waste and trying to keep our things going for as long as possible. You're listening to Restart Radio on Resonance 104.4 FM. Today we're talking to Alice Penfold about her work with Library of Things. Our repair events are currently on hold, but we're working hard to make repair more accessible. From campaigning for the right to repair to supporting laptop reuse projects, we need your help. If you're able to donate to fund our work, go to therestartproject.org slash give to learn more. So you kind of touched on this a minute ago, but what does it mean to be the borrower support lead for Library of Things? Yeah, borrower support lead. So it's basically our customer service, but we just renamed it (laughs) to be a bit more friendly. So most of my day job at the moment involves responding to borrowers via our live chat questions from like you know do you have this thing and when's it available to uh there's no water coming out the carpet cleaner so kind of helping with all those different scenarios and then representing borrowers across the website making sure they're built into our what we like to call our user experience making sure that everything makes sense and is friendly and yeah building systems around that stuff as well so making sure we can help people a lot better and answer their questions before they can ask them and uh yeah i also manage our social media channels as well creating a lot of hopefully joyful content for those as well yeah i really like how the catalog was kind of like sorted into into categories and i was quite surprised as well by some of the stuff we had a blender for smoothies which i think we literally used once and then finally gave it to someone else because we just recognized we're never realistically going to use this in our family again so what kind of things can people borrow from the library of things 
Yeah, I think a lot of people do that wishful wishful thinking. They buy things, like, I'm going to be this person and it never happens. I'm going to make waffles every weekend or make smoothies every morning. So yeah, we've got uh, six categories, I think it is, So um, which most things fall under. So DIY, things like drills and saws, gardening things like strimmers and lawnmowers, cleaning things like the carpet cleaner, pressure washers, hobbying and venturing things. So yeah, tents, as you mentioned, things like sewing machines, and then cooking and hosting things as well. So yeah, waffle makers, pasta makers, or gazebo, which I think is the number one requested item <laughs> at the moment, because everybody's still meeting outdoors. Yeah, I was just going to ask what the most popular item is, but I guess that's answered with the with the gazebo. Is there anything else that was more popular to borrow? Carpet cleaner is always number one. Yeah, the gazebo won't even beat that. It's it's always out, and the pressure washer as well gets pretty popular in the spring and summer months. What what's the thinking behind the selection of things? How you decide which specific product to use, say for carpet cleaning, is repairability a criteria for you? Yeah, so we have kind of three main criteria that helps us decide on the things. I should mention that when we were in West Norwood, we tested like 350, 400 things from big to small. So got a really good idea of what people borrow and what people don't. A lot of people say that they want to borrow stuff and then they never do. But yeah, those three criteria are usually demand, maintenance, which repairability comes into and storage so storage is quite a defining factor because we have these kiosks in in these in these spaces we only have a certain space for those and the lockers can be a certain size that determines a lot of what can go in and we design them mostly around the most popular items that we've always had so the carpet cleaner the hedge trimmers the drills and then yeah uh demand we just got a shredder for crystal palace because a lot of people requested a, a shredder and I know they're quite uh, popular items or turn up quite a lot of restart parties. So hopefully we've got a, a decent one. And yeah, maintenance is a huge factor. So we used to have uh, barbecues, but they were great to borrow, but just an absolute nightmare to clean and to, to look after. And yeah, repairability, of course, is like 100% important. We actually get all of our, well, most of our things through partnerships with uh, manufacturers like Bosch and Karcher so that's for a lot of the popular things as I mentioned like the carpet cleaners and this just makes sure that the things are really good quality we've had an opportunity to test them and as part of those partnerships with those brands as well we can go back to that we can take the things back to them for major repairs and most of the smaller repairs are handled by our thing technicians which I'll probably talk about later. Even in comparison to probably people who are owning their items you might be doing more repairing of stuff um, <laughs> at library of things than the general owner. I mean, do you have any way of measuring the environmental impact or the impact on reducing waste and e-waste that it might be having? Yeah, we um, we did a bit of re- uh, user research and came up with this kind of ballpark figure. So from about two, two and a half years uh, we estimated that Crystal Palace borrowers saved uh, an estimated 15,900 kilograms of waste going to landfill. And Morden, which has been open for, I think, two or three months now, has so far saved around one tonne of waste. So, yeah, we did some uh, user research, and that's based on an estimate of one in four borrows preventing a purchase and the average weight of our things. But these are kind of early estimates based on limited data. We're kind of working to uh, develop something a bit more rigorous. And are you learning 
something new about products uh, like as they break or sometimes you might experience some issues with getting them repaired are there learning for you and potentially for the manufacturers that you partner with yeah yeah 100 percent. i mean of course the things break um like any things do and especially because they're being borrowed by so many people and a lot of people are borrowing these things for the first time as well so they're not taking the time to get used to them as you might do if you bought something because they pass from borrower to borrower so at each library things location we employ a thing technician so they check over the things uh, that have been borrowed about twice a week so that includes a lot of basic maintenance in-depth cleaning and any basic repairs obviously a lot of these products as well aren't made to be used as much as they are with library of things so like the pressure washers are actually only designed to be used a few times a year so yeah definitely learning a lot about the products and yeah the 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 partnerships with the manufacturers means we can pass this information back to them so we we produce a report from them for them like every quarter or so and give them feedback from borrowers and then our thing technicians who are obviously very hands-on with those things are telling them you know there's this bit on the carpet cleaner that always gets clogged up because of the way it's designed or the pressure washers leak from this place or um something we find like on the sanders the little springs that hold the sandpaper weaken after a few borrows so they have to be replaced so you know there's a reason why these manufacturers are getting involved they want to see how kind of like a hiring model will work for them but i think it's also just giving them this really great feedback from people about their products and it has changed the way we do things as well we used to have vax carpet cleaners there were just too many issues with cleaning them and they were too awkward um so we switched to karcher um so again just making sure that everything's high quality and then yeah in terms of like with borrowers we we try to put spare parts in the lockers so that if parts go missing which they often do that people have spares they can take and we've also with jamie's help actually been putting a lot of work into like wikis for each thing kind of user guides that um hopefully are an easy to follow guide of how to use the thing and some basic troubleshooting stuff that a lot of people can solve if something does go wrong um when they've got it out on loan um you mentioned at the top of the interview how you wanted to do work that kind of had a positive impact on the world and stuff I mean what's the most rewarding part for you of your work with library of things and is there a memory you have of maybe someone who by borrowing an item it really helped them out when they didn't really have another option or or couldn't afford really to just buy the item themselves yeah it's just always seeing the borrowers really feeling really chuffed that they can borrow something and they didn't have to pay out for it I always remember this guy who was on his way to buy a multi-detector and literally walked past the window of Crystal Palace Library of Things and saw one in the window and, and borrowed it instead so it cost him two pounds instead of 30 or something like that and then he didn't have to store it and didn't have to throw it away two years later but yeah always hearing lovely stories about what what people have borrowed things for projectors for weddings speeches and things like that and the events as well I mean obviously we haven't been able to run them in a year but always being at the repair parties at Crystal Palace it was just such a good atmosphere and um, just another great thing to add to the community um, always remember this one guy in West Norwood who <laughs> I still makes me laugh he um although I don't know if I should laugh he uh wanted to borrow the tea urn because it was his girlfriend's father's wake and he was like if I don't get if I don't borrow the tea urn it's going to be my wake too and I was like okay 
<laughs> You've mentioned Crystal Palace and Morden. And where else can people borrow from Library of Things? And what other locations are coming next in London? Yeah, so uh, yeah, Morden's open. Crystal Palace just reopened today after after lockdown. We've got Hackney Wick coming soon. Then I think the other sites that we've announced that I can talk about are um, Kentish Town and uh, Finsbury Park. There are lots of others in the works, lots of councils jumping on board to partner with us. We should have about six by the end of the year, including uh, the ones that are already open. And how did lockdown affect being able to open and have people borrow things and all that kind of stuff yeah well because we are in um in buildings that are operate on their own opening hours so like the libraries uh we had to shut because they shut and so we put our heads together and set up a delivery service last year from about may time in the crystal palace and then the brixton area and we had about 12 volunteers who helped us out with that which was really great and um, we did about 357 borrows from between may and december so it was a way for people to still access the things while our sites were closed because obviously lots of people were stuck at home and finally getting around to a lot of those uh, DIY and gardening jobs. So uh, there's many independent library of things opening around the country and around the world. At times they're linked to local transition town groups or community repair groups. Are you in contact with all of them and supporting them in any way? Yeah, we are. Most of us are friends, actually, which is quite nice. Rebecca, one of our co-founders, set up this event a few years ago called ShareFest. They all got together in Crystal Palace and shared lots of ideas. Everybody kind of operates in a different way. But yeah, it's always been an open source thing. We're always happy to share with people our lessons. We used to hold tours, show people around, share how it how it worked to hopefully inspire them. We did an online one back in November and we've written up an article as well just sharing some of the things we've learned about our six years of running a library of things. And yeah, Rebecca, who I mentioned, uh, one of our founders, she's actually living in Totnes in Devon at the moment. And uh, she's been volunteering at Share Shed, which is a library of things down there on a, on a Saturday, um, which is quite nice. And of course, many of them are tied in with repair cafes and restart parties as well. So a lot of them have set up library of things off the back of that. But yeah, there's there's lots of groups out there who've kind of done it off their own back. We can all coexist nicely. We're not we're not in competition. You know, some of them exist in in small villages and towns where that that works for them. So, um, yeah, we can we can live next to them peacefully and continue to collaborate and get better together, I think. You mentioned earlier manufacturers possibly wanting to learn whether they could be leasing or renting out their stuff. Do you see them like mm. wanting to play a bigger role in this space or you see more this movement growing in a more bottom-up way going forward? Yeah, perhaps. I, I mean, I don't know if some of them are investigating it because they they want to do it themselves. I, I think IKEA are actually looking into kind of setting up a, a rental model and seeing if that works for them. But yeah, it'll be interesting. I mean, we definitely want to partner with more manufacturers with the things so that we have we can again can pass back that data can share things can yeah give them product feedback yeah i don't know <laughs> final question for everyone is if people want a library of things near them how can they get involved how can they make it happen 
Cool. So, yeah, on our website very soon, which is www.libraryofthings.co.uk, we are going to creating this kind of heat map on the website where people can put in their details about where they are, their postcode, and whether they are a potential borrower or maybe a potential initiator. Kind of get the ball rolling in their local area and then we'll do the graft work and contact their local councils who will hopefully want to work with us and then we can look at setting up a library of things in their area. You can always drop us a message. We've got a live chat on our website and we've got lots of resources we can share with you. Brilliant. Well, thanks, Alice, and good luck. We hope to see more library of things in the high streets in London and everywhere in the country. Thank you and hopefully see you again soon. Thanks, bye. Due to the pandemic, we're currently still not running in-person restart parties in London. We often run online events and you can find their details on our website, therestartproject.org. However, if you'd like help fixing anything with a plug or a battery, you can also tag us on Twitter, Facebook or Instagram, giving us information on the make, model and fault of your device, and we will do our best to help. And finally, on our website, you can sign a new petition asking the UK government to give everyone a real right to repair. If you'd like to support real change in legislation that will support repairs, then please take a moment to sign at www.thereasterproject.org. Thanks to Optonoise and Cassini Sound for our music, which was made with lasers, spinning plastic discs, and discard electronics. We're here every second Tuesday of the month at 5 p.m. Until next time. <laughs>